Uh, Psalm, which one are we on? 40? Okay, let's look at Psalm 40. Now, Psalm 40 is part of a series of Psalms that began back in Psalm 37. So in 37, you'll recall that the theme of that Psalm was waiting, and God keeps telling David to wait, and that's the teaching that David gives us. They that wait upon the Lord, uh, those who wait inherit the earth. And then in Psalm 38 and 39, we see David having to wait himself. He's having to uh, follow his own instructions as he is sick and on the verge of death and his empire ready to collapse, all because of his own sin. And then he cries out to God and God makes him wait, which may be a very wise thing. Uh, Many times we need to wait and we need to contemplate what's going on in our lives and we shouldn't expect to get better or the situation to change immediately, especially when we got ourselves into it. And so God puts David through the ringer. And now, in Psalm 40, we see the outcome of his waiting, and it's sort of a, a triumphal, uh, triumphant conclusion here. So and you see that because, look what he says in verse 1. He said, I waited patiently. So you can see how these psalms are, are interconnected. He says he waited patiently on the Lord. So here's how we're going to divide this psalm. We're going to divide it into three sections, verses 1 through 5. We're going to see how God intervened in David's situation. And in, psalm, in verses 1 through 5, you're going to see the focus is going to be mainly on God. Okay? And then the focus is going to switch in verses 6 through 10, and it's mainly going to be on David. Okay? And we're going to see David's response. And then finally, in verses 11 through 17... David has a new request of God. And it takes sort of an interesting twist. I think you'll enjoy that. Now, we see the superscription. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, which simply means this psalm, after it was written, is to be put to music and it's going to be used in the worship of Israel. So let's look at this first section, God's intervention. And David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Uh, notice that's in the past. I waited patiently for the Lord. And here's what God does. He inclined his, he, and he inclined to me. That means he bent down. He paid attention to what I was saying. He uh, condescends. He makes an effort. And he heard my cry. So that's what God does. Uh, God basically gets David out of this mess that he is in. Verse 2 says, And he brought me up out of a horrible pit. And we saw in Psalm 38 and 39 how horrible that was. I mean, he was literally on the verge of death. And he set my feet on a rock and established my steps. Now, you'll remember I said that Psalm 1 was a foundation psalm for all the rest of the psalms in this section. And this statement that he put my feet on a rock and he established my steps harkens back to Psalm number 1, where in that psalm he talks about steps and standing, and he talks about the righteous person who's like a tree planted by the water that shall not be moved. Now the metaphor changes, but the concept is the same. A tree planted by the water that doesn't move, or being planted on a rock and being established. So you have that same concept right here. And then verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our Lord. What a change. Uh, Last week we saw David was in a state of depression. 
He says, I kept silent. I kept my mouth shut. Now guess what he's doing? He's singing. He's singing a new song. Uh, that phrase, new song, goes way back to Exodus 15 where uh, God delivers Moses and the children of Israel from Egypt and they sang a new song. And so this is this, a, a sign of deliverance. And so a new song is a song of praise. Okay? So he goes from a, there's a transition in his, his attitude and in, in his demeanor. Now look at the result in verse 3. As a result of God intervening and David singing a new song, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Uh, many will see what? They will see how God's intervened in David's life. How God reversed things in David's life. It's going to cause them to fear God. If they think it can come against David and overthrow him, and God's on David's side, that would cause them to fear God. In fact, if they see God intervenes in David's life, that will cause them to trust in God too. If God can do this for David, that means he can do this for me. So it doesn't matter how far down you are. And I don't know that anybody's ever been any further down than David. But it doesn't matter what's happening in your life, God can rescue you. And if he can rescue David, he can rescue us. Now look at verse 4. Now we have this, one of those lessons or axioms that David, truisms that David throws in. Blessed is the man, meaning the person, who makes the Lord his trust. So there, if you want to know how to be blessed, just trust in the Lord. That's a truism or an axiom. And again, what we have is, I think, an opaque uh, reference to Psalm 1. Because what does this say? Blessed is the man. And what does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth you know, in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Hey, you're not following the crowd. Guess who you're following? You're trusting, in verse 4, you're trusting God. So we have this hearkening back again to Psalm 1. Had David followed his own advice in Psalm 1, Psalms 38 and 39 wouldn't have happened. He just didn't follow his own advice. Like a lot of preachers and leaders of country. <laughs> I guess in prophets. And now he summarizes it. Look at verse 5. He says, Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works. Now he's just given us one example how God delivered him, but he says... Uh, God does many wonderful things which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order there's so many of them I can't even keep them in order I can't re remember when this happened and that happened all I can remember is that you just were constantly intervening and I was trusting you and you were doing it over and over again if I would declare and speak of them they are more than can be numbered and that's the truth in your life if you recognize it. Many of us don't even recognize when God is intervening and blessing us and getting us out of jams that we were in and we think, I was lucky that time. No, you weren't. There's an invisible hand there. If you just recognize it, it was God's hand. And you should be trusting the Lord. So that's section one. Mainly on what God has done and David's response to it. Now, now things sort of shift and the focus comes on David beginning in verse 6, okay? 
So, what does God expect from David as a result of delivering him? In other words, once you've been delivered, what are you going to do from that point on? What does God want you to do? Well, let me show you, first of all, what God doesn't want you to do. Okay? Look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering, David says, you did not desire. After you delivered me, usually our response as Jews is to go and make a sacrifice in the tabernacle. That's not what you desired. Look at the end of verse 6. Burnt offerings and sin offering you did not require. That's not what God wants. Here's what God wants. Look in the middle of verse 6. My ears you have opened. Now, what in the world does that mean? My ears you have opened. Well, it can mean one of two things. It means, oh, now I see. Now I understand. Uh, I see what you wanted all along. You don't want sacrifice. You don't want burnt offerings. I'm, I, I got you now. Now I'm sort of understanding this. Couldn't mean that. But, more than likely, that is a reference. My ears you have opened. Some translations say my ear, ears you've dug which is sort of interesting. But the word open or dug is probably a reference to having your ear pierced. <clears throat> and uh, some translations translate it that way. Uh, you have opened my ear or you have pierced my ear and it's a reference back to Exodus chapter 2 or t Exodus 21 rather. And it's 21.6. You don't have to turn there. But it tells you, basically, what a servant is to do when he finally commits himself totally to his master. And he says, you know, I like serving you. In fact, I want to serve you the rest of my life. And I want to become your bondservant. And so if you volunteered to become someone's bondservant for life, to say, your wish is my command." Then you would go before a judge, you, your master, and the judge, with witnesses, and they would put your ear against the wall, and they would take an awl, and they would poke a hole in your ear before witnesses. It was a legal ceremony in Exodus 21. And a stud would be put in your ear, and you were declared to be a bondservant to that master for all your life. What God wants is you to have your ear pierced in a spiritual sense that you dedicate your life voluntarily to serve him 100% and that's what he says my ears you have opened and then look what he says in verse 7 then I said behold I come I'm doing it I'm coming I'm volunteering for that service Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So God opens his will, opens his ear, and he says, I'm coming, that's what I'm going to do, and it's written to me in the book. The scroll of the book, literally. What book is he talking about? Well, there's only one book around at David's time, and that's the five books of Moses. 
called the Torah, the book of the law. And he says in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. And what does it say? I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. And in the book of the law, the book of Moses, there is the teaching about becoming a bondservant and having your ear open and serving your master and doing his will and not doing your own will. And in that book, there is a passage of scripture in Deuteronomy that tells how kings are to act and how they like, likewise are to serve God and to do his will from their heart. Now, what makes this passage right here very interesting and even fuller is that when you look at verses 6 through 8, you may recognize those verses as found in the book of Hebrews and applied to Christ. <coughs> See, those verses right there are repeated in the book of Hebrews and applied to Jesus Christ. Now I want to show that to you. We're going to come back here, but I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 is talking about Christ. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10. And when you get there, find verse 5. Hebrews 10 and verse 5. And here's what it says. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and this is talking about Messiah, God's king. This is David was a king. He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written to me, to do your will, O God. So there's the passage repeated in the book of Hebrews. Now, what do you notice about the difference between the passage in Psalms and the passage in Hebrews? Is there anything different there? Oh, wait a second. Yes, look at that in verse 5. Instead of saying, an ear you have opened, what does it say? A body you've prepared. Instead of saying an ear you've opened, it says a body you've prepared. How in the world did that get changed? Did the writer of Hebrews just say, I didn't like ear open, so I'm just going to change it to body you've prepared? How do things like that happen? And this is when you ask students this at college, they just sort of do the same thing you do. <laughs> They're no smarter. <laughs> they just sit there and they try to figure it out. Well, what's happening is that the writer of Hebrews is quoting that Old Testament, but he's not quoting it from a Hebrew edition of the Old Testament. He's quoting it from a Greek translation of the Old Testament. You see, what am I, when I'm reading right here in the book of Hebrews, am I reading it from the original Greek? No, I'm reading it from what? An English translation. The Greek here has been translated into English. Guess what? The Old Testament Bible was written in Hebrew, but guess what? It was translated into Greek, so people like this could read it. And so he's quoting the Old Testament translation, which is called the Septuagint, where it says, 
a body you have prepared for me. Now, well, that's very interesting. That's what he chooses to do. He doesn't quote the Old Testament. But why did Christ have to have a body? What did it have to ha what had to happen to that body? It had to be pierced. Christ was a bondservant to his Father, to God. And he said, I'm here to do your will. And he did God's will, even to the point of what? Death on the cross, when his body was pierced. And so the writer of Hebrews takes that passage and applies it right here to Jesus Christ. He says, just as David was beaten down and for his own sin, and he finally comes to his senses, and he gets his ear pierced and becomes a bondservant, he says Christ was beaten down because of our sins, and his own body was pierced. And so he makes that parallel passage. Does that make sense? This is how they do things in the New Testament. It's very interesting how they quote verses, isn't it? Now go back to uh, Psalm 40, and we'll look at verse 9. And look what it says. I have proclaimed the good news. The gospel, in a sense. And I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the assembly. Well, what good news? Well, the good news of what happened in his own life. When he came to his senses and he decided to do what was right versus what was wrong. And what God's done, I proclaim the good news of righteousness in the assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O oh Lord, you know yourself. I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation, your deliverance. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great Assembly. So, what does David do after he's delivered? First, he makes himself a bondservant to God. And second of all, he voluntarily tells everybody. So, the lesson that we get here is that when the, one, the person who's delivered should be a witness to that. And God's done great things in your life. And what you need to do is tell somebody. This is David tells somebody what's happened. What God has done on his behalf. He's witnessing to God and what God has done on his behalf. So, he's confessing. So we have this concept of something happening with his ear and something happening with his mouth. His ear is open and his mouth is open. His ear is open, he commits his life to God, and he opens his mouth and he tells what great things God has done for him. And that's what we need to do. We need to commit our lives to God, and we need to tell somebody what God's done in our lives and not keep quiet. And he does that amongst the assembly, which means when the people of God gather. Remember in the church when they used to have testimony time? Don't see that too much anymore. But it's a missing dimension and has a biblical basis. It's not that, oh, testimony time. That's Bible. That's what the Bible does. They have Testimony is important. We need to emphasize talking about what God has done in their lives. Okay, now we come to the last section. And we find out David has another request from God. And things sort of get real interesting here. <clears throat> Look what he says. He says to God, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Now why would he say that? Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord, your loving kindness your grace, your mercy toward me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Why is he making this request? 
I mean, he's God's delivered him once. Why is he making the request? Why is he saying that? He's committed his life to God. He's testifying of God. Why would you say now, Lord, don't withhold your tender mercies? Why would he do it? Well, look what he says in verse 12. He tells you what. For, because, innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. Well, he was just delivered from his iniquities, wasn't he? What's going on here? My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. David may be in another mess already. Now remember, he's not writing the psalm when the events are happening. See, when I sin, and if I wanted to write about it, I wouldn't write it right after I said, oh, today I just did this one. <laughs> While you're doing it. You know, you're not writing it down, are you? He's writing it down later. <laughs> He's reflecting on it. And so he reflects on what happened in his life. And he first ten verses, he says what God's done and how he committed his life to God and how he confessed. But then he also remembers not soon after that, guess what? I started making another mess of my life. After he got his ear pierced. You've never done that, have you? I know I haven't. After I confessed Christ, I was perfect from that point on. So he says, he says, I'm in a mess again. So that's what he is. He's in a big mess. So look what he says in verse 13. And I think his enemies are using that, you know. Uh, he's getting in another mess and his enemies are using it to, to uh, come against him and maybe try to get him out of office. So in verse 13 he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Now, it's very interesting that he says that. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But mark that in your mind. Make haste to help me. And then he goes into five let's. Let us, let us, let us, let us. Okay? Look at the first three let's. <clears throat> Verse 14. Let them be ashamed, and this is his enemies, and be brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. So that's let number one. Let number two. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. That's let number two. Let number three, verse 15. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! And that word, Aha! means, Gotcha! Gotcha again! Look at David! Oh, look at him! There he goes again! Uh, phrase, Aha! It's used three times in the Old Testament. It's always an act of mockery. He says, stop those people who are making a mockery of me. Because when they make a mockery of me, they're making a mockery of you. So these three lets are linked to his enemies. Now look at the next two lets. Okay. These deal with his friends. Verse 16. Let all those who seek you... Rejoice and be glad in you. That's the first let. Let number two. Let such as love your salvation, your deliverance, say continually, the Lord 
be magnified. Now, David puts himself in this camp. David seeks to do God's will. He wants, he rejoices in God's salvation, but he's got himself in another mess. And that's the problem. He puts himself in the righteous camp, not in the enemy camp. And he says, if you're a friend of God, then you should be magnifying God, and yet he's not doing it. He's got himself into a big mess again, which is just unbelievable. And uh, so look what he says in verse 17. But, even though I am in the righteous camp, look what he says. But I am poor and needy. Look at this. I am in, I need some help right now. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. He hadn't forgotten about me. He's got sense enough to know that. At least in, in, in Psalm 38 and 39, he thought the Lord may have forgotten him. Here he doesn't. He realizes the Lord has him on his mind. And he says, You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. In other words, make it quick. Now, what's happened to the waiting? Time to the waiting. And he spent a whole psalm on waiting, and he had to wait in 38 and 39 for God to deliver him. But back in verse 13, he said, Oh Lord, make haste, help me. And he ends the whole thing is, Do not delay, oh my God, help me. See? What happened to the delay? Now, possibly David realizes, okay, I'm getting myself in a mess. I'm still righteous. I know that you haven't abandoned me. And maybe he thinks in this state, God can move in quickly. I don't know. But uh, it's a very interesting thing that he thinks that God should help him sooner rather than later. Maybe he's come to his senses in time where he thinks if I repent now, God will help me now. He doesn't have to go through all that he went through before. But we don't know that for certain. But look at verse 13 through 17. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And at the end, do not delay. O my God. Verses 13 through 17. Now I want you to turn over to Psalm 70. Okay. It's very interesting when you look at 70. And when you get there, just look at it. I won't even say anything. See it? The entire psalm is the same thing as verses 13 through 17 of the other psalm. So when we get to Psalm 70, I'll deal with those verses in great detail. Okay, we won't do that this morning. <laughs> so uh, we'll stop at this point, and next week we will pick up at Psalm 41, and we end our Psalms for the Summer series, and we complete Book 1, which is Psalms 1 through 41 which is the first major section of the Psalms. And then after that, we get to next, we go back to Revelation, we pick up the chapter 19. Father, we thank you for your word. We can open it up, we can see how a great man, a person who you describe as one who had a heart for you, could stumble, fall, get himself into a mess, but he always knew where to turn. He never abandoned you. You didn't abandon him. You had to knock him low to get him to look up sometimes. 
And oh Lord, help us to learn this lesson, that you're always there for us. You love us, you do not hate us, you want what is best for us, you want us to do your will because you know that is the best course of action. Help us to be like the person in Psalm 1, who does not follow the ways of the sinners, but trust in you. Oh Lord, that is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.